welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. Should we talk about babies this week? I think we probably should. (laughs) So we've been getting a lot of questions both to the podcast and in the store about baby knitting. So we thought this would be a good thing to talk about this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like some people have a mental block about what you would knit for a baby. So today we're going to try and cover the bases. What are your knit object options? What kind of materials might you want to use? And then maybe the most controversial topic of all with baby knits. Color! What color (laughs) can you make baby things? No spoilers. You have to listen to the whole episode to find out. So the first thing to consider is whether the baby you're knitting for is yours or someone else's. You have to identify the source of the baby. (laughs) Where where did that baby come from? (laughs) Because you may arrive at a different answer. Oh, for sure. You yourself are a knitter. You know you can be trusted. But. Or you know you can't be trusted. Right. (laughs) You know what you're getting yourself into, maybe. With the knits, at least. I mean, total wild card with that baby. (laughs) So usually when people come into the store and I am talking to them about knitting for a baby, that is my very first question is, are either of the parents knitters? Usually the answer is no. Most often, yeah. Because I would like to think that even in the most 3 a.m. sleep deprived whatever state, I would catch myself throwing that alpaca thing into the dryer and I would say, no, no, I'm not doing that. But it's very ingrained as a knitter. I think if you have parents who are both not knitters, it's limiting your fiber choices. How complicated do you want to make it for them? As little complicated as possible. That's the kind thing to do, I think. (laughs) For sure. And before we lose any of you who are not thinking that you might be interested in knitting for babies, because babies are not everyone's jam. Knitting for babies or knitting baby-sized things can be a benefit to you as a knitter because it's a great way to try out new techniques and construction at a small scale. So you want to try something, you're not sure that you are ready to commit to being a brioche knitter or something, you can try it out on like a tiny project. And this is maybe specifically for people who are like, I don't want to try it out on a big thing. And I don't want to swatch. Shame. 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 You just have fundamental opposition to swatching in your (laughs) souls. And I know you're out there. You can just knit something little and be like, boop, in the donation bin. Or my coworker's cousin's sister-in-law now has a new tiny-sized human. I will pass this thing along to them. And if they shrink it, it doesn't matter because I'll never meet them. There are ways to put baby-sized knits out into the world, even if you don't know who the recipient is. And it's a great skill-building opportunity. So keep that in mind. Okay, so I think I want to knit for a baby. Mm -hmm. What sorts of things am I thinking about knitting? Like, what are my options? So many options. I often find that when I'm talking to people in the shop who want to knit for babies, they think that they have to knit baby blankets. And you don't. You just don't. You don't have to do that to yourself. (laughs) You can knit anything you would knit for a big person, except it's going to be tiny and cute and go way faster because it's tiny. (laughs) Maybe one of the smallest, easiest things to knit for babies is a hat. Hats are great for babies. Babies don't have much hair, 
Some do. Like, my first baby person? Tons of hair. So much hair. But mostly, a lot of babies have naked heads, so hats are good at helping them feel cozy. It's a great way to use up your scrap yarn, because you don't need a lot of yardage to do it. So if you're like, I've got a quarter of a skein of DK weight hanging around from the last colorwork sweater I did, use it up. Yeah. Babies don't know it's a leftover. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and a tip about baby hats, if it's actually to keep them warm in really cold weather, I think that it's nice to put little ties under the chin because babies are not good at being upright on their own for a while. It takes practice to be able to do that. So their heads are constantly against things. <laughs> what? Babies are not that strong. <laughs> I just really like that you're saying babies aren't good at being upright as though there's a wide variety of things that babies are very good at. Like <laughs> That's not one of them. <laughs> it's a whole skill building experience. <laughs> Yeah, like they're sleeping in a carrier or they're laying in a crib or on the floor or in a car seat. Like their heads touch a lot of things and it's really easy for them to pop those hats off of their little heads. And you might be surprised to learn that they're terrible at putting them back on by themselves. <laughs> that is one of the things they're not good at. You know, if you can just like tie it underneath their cute little pudgy chins, their heads will stay warmer. Also, something like socks or baby booties would work. Those are popular tiny projects. As a person who has hauled around two little babies for a number of years until they were big enough to do things on their own, I am a bigger fan of socks for babies than I am of booties. Booties are cute and decorative, but they're not always great at staying on. But I find that socks, if you can get stretchy enough ribbing, like huggy enough ribbing, better odds of not losing them in a park. Sure. Because they're not just falling off of feet as you walk around. <laughs> with your cute little pudge person. If you are going to knit booties for people's babies or your own babies, ribbing is a must and maybe some little I-cord tie as well because everyone knows I'm an I-cord fan. Keep them on their feet because once they lose one, they're never wearing the other one again. Maybe make three for them in case they lose <laughs> one. What about if you want to knit this baby a sweater? You can. If you are a Ravelry pattern searcher person, you will find thousands upon thousands of baby sweaters. There are so many options. I imagine Pinterest is probably also like that, but I don't know how to work Pinterest, so I can't. <laughs> I wouldn't swear to it in court, but I think I'm right. I have personal opinions about sweaters on babies. There are tons of pullover options, and they're so cute. But I feel like your chances of success for baby sweater knitting and having that baby be able to, I was just going to say, put it on. They can't do that. <laughs> Have someone put it on them regularly. Cardigans are kind of the way to go. Babies have big heads often. It's one of their things that make them so cute. They've got big noggins. And if the neck hole on the sweater is smaller or you have bound off kind of tightly, it can be a hassle to get it on and off of that baby. Probably not going to be the first thing that their adult people are going to put on them if there are other more easy-changing fashion options available. Also, if there is some sort of baby-related laundry emergency and you need quick changes, it's really easy to slide little people in and out of cardigans just for ease of changing and minimizing spreading of baby messes. <laughs> yeah, and like arms. You have to get... <laughs> they have them. <laughs> they have them, but like barely. They're, they're like floppy. They're little floppy. Like they don't have bones in them yet. 
they're just they definitely have bones. <laughs> Babies are not slugs. <laughs> Citation needed. <laughs> With a pullover, first of all, you're having to cover the baby's face, Mm -hmm. even briefly, right, with the fabric. You are inserting this baby into one hole, and you are making it come out of three separate holes. Now, to that whole sentence. Whereas with a cardigan, (laughs) it's one for one. Boop them right into it. If you've got an ornery baby, the pullover might be more of a struggle. But no matter what, they're not really that good at fighting their way out of clothing. (laughs) So you'll probably win. The lack of arm bones really hinders them. (laughs) Speaking of sweaters, though, if you want to knit clothing for babies, sweaters are not your only option. And we maybe didn't mention this before, but we're not talking about a bunch of pattern names specifically in today's episode. If you're interested in looking at examples of any of the things we're suggesting as broad categories of apparel, we'll put specific patterns linked in this week's show notes. So the next place I would like to take you is to the land of rompers. There was recently a woman in the shop who was trying to pick a sweater pattern for a baby. And everything was not quite right. And I couldn't figure out why until we landed on the fact that this baby lives in the Virgin Islands and doesn't really need a warm sweater. It would have been this baby's only sweater. It would have been booped into that sweater for a picture and then maybe never worn again. But she really wanted to make something for the baby that would get worn. So instead of a sweater, we decided to go with a romper. And just like rompers for grown-ups, it's like a onesie for a baby, but it's knit instead of store-bought knit fabric. So it might have sleeves, but it definitely doesn't have to. It can be like a cute little tank top, basically like a one-piece bathing suit shape, if you are not familiar with this type of garment. They're cute. Sometimes they have buttons or snaps. Sometimes they don't because knitwear is stretchy, so there are lots of options out there. There are also bottom half options, like sweaters or top half options. Bottom half options for babies can be things like longies or diaper covers. You might be wondering, what is a longie? Longies are basically pants for babies. (laughs) Because they don't have knees, so... (laughs) (laughs) They just have cute little marshmallow legs. Yeah. Yeah, longies are basically pants for babies, and diaper covers are shorts, baby booty shorts. They're short shorts. And I think that knitting pants and shorts for babies is particularly fun. I knit a pair of jeans once out of denim yarn, and they had an I-cord drawstring. I've maybe mentioned them before, but they were like the cutest, cutest little pants I've ever seen. And they had faded knees because the denim fades with wear and babies crawl around on their knees. So they had like grown up people fading patterns on these hand knit little pants and they were stinking adorable. So high recommend to things like that. That's so cute. And if we're thinking of baby size knits as little like a flight of knitting options for your grown up wardrobe, maybe you'll want to knit yourself some pants or shorts which maybe seems daunting, but is super fun. So it's not that blankets aren't an option. They're just not the only option. But you may want to knit a baby blanket. Bless you, because there are a lot of knitting. You knit the baby blanket for the babies that you will know and love in your life. I think that lots of knitters feel the siren song of the hand-knit baby blanket. But I encourage you all to think about it a little bit before you go on this journey. Baby blankets are kind of a lot of knitting compared to your other options. And if you are on board for that, then that's awesome. And there are so many great patterns. 
You can do baby blankets in any weight of yarn. They can be really complicated. They can be really simple. Like your options are endless. But if you think you want to knit a baby blanket because it's a baby, it needs a blanket, and you're not a blanket knitting kind of person, it's going to become the impossible task for you. I have seen baby blankets who have come into the shop with people who need to finish them. And they're like, this child is in kindergarten now. (laughs) And I don't know if they will want this blanket. I've seen people come into the shop and say, I started knitting this for my own child 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe I can get it done in time for this grandchild we're going to have. Usually not their first grandchild. Oh, often not the first (laughs) grandchild, but they're like, I think maybe now is the time I will finish this 30-year-old blanket. Surprise, surprise. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes that baby (laughs) blanket goes back into the closet. If you think about it, though, think about the size of a baby blanket, and then you think about your adult human body, that's like maybe a significant portion of an adult sweater. It's a lot of knitting. Yeah. I think I've told the story about the baby blanket that I knit. My first friend from college to have a baby had a baby, and I thought I would send them a baby blanket. I knew nothing about this baby. This is one of the advantages, is you don't need to know anything about the baby Mm -hmm. to knit a baby blanket. You know, babies need, like, color contrast and shapes and stuff. So I had found it was the Tin Can Knits Pop Blanket, and they're, like, circles in the middle. And then you sort of do these short row shenanigans to get to squares, and then you seam them all together. (laughs) And I used Cascade Eco Wool, uh-huh. which is not super wash. Mm-hmm. So I've given these people a white thing that cannot be washed. And then I did a bad job of seaming it. <laughs> and I know I did a bad job of seaming it because my seams were very tight. And so when I blocked it, I tried to pull it. Like oh. 100% this thing ended up in the washing machine and unraveled and they never mentioned it again. And like that was the best case scenario. Oh, maybe best case scenario is they felted it and then it was like a solid piece of fabric. (laughs) There are functional blankets and then there are photo shoot blankets. Yeah. And they're often not the same thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So my favorite thing to knit for babies is actually not any baby clothing or accessories at all. I like to knit stuffed animals for babies. Oh, nice. And I haven't done it in a long time, but I think a couple of the stuffed animals that I knit are still hanging around the house. We have a blue lobster whose name (laughs) is Cruddy. Uh Uh-huh. And Cruddy still likes to party and hang out with the kids. I knit a somewhat terrifying looking Joey Ramone doll. Uh Uh-huh. That has big, scary red buttons for eyes. So you could definitely go that route for this baby, too. Just leave off the buttons. (laughs) The buttons come later. After its knees, elbows, maybe a little brain development, and then buttons. Yeah. Buttons are for later (laughs) once you know they won't eat them. But there are lots of fun options. Like, a lot of baby things feel, like, very sweet and traditional. But think about who the parents are. They might be fun and quirky and weird. You can play up to their personal aesthetics as well with your stuffed animal friends that you're about to create. So some of my favorite stuffed animal designers are people you might already know. Mochi Mochi Land does all of those really cute little teeny, teeny, tiny knits. Those are not good for babies because babies will pop them into their mouths like popcorn as soon as they can grab something (laughs) with their hand. Mm Mm-hmm. But some of her designs are actually for bigger things, like there are some dogs with floppy ears, some big kind of pillowy-shaped stuffies that would be fun to make. Susan B. Anderson 
designs, lots of stuff like clothing for babies, but stuffed animals too. And one of my favorite stuffies that I ever knit was a chicken with polka dots all over her. And that was a Susan B. Anderson pattern. Those are fun. I recently learned from a knitter in the shop about Julie Williams. Her design label, her design name is Little Cotton Rabbits. And if you are familiar with calico critters, <laughs> these stuffed animals have like big calico critter vibes. They're super cute. They're not just rabbits. There's badgers. There's elephants. There's all sorts of animals. And then they have cute little knit wardrobes that go with them. Oh, excellent. So those are pretty sweet. But my all-time favorites are Rebecca Danger's Monsters. She's got a book called The Big Book of Knitted Monsters. It's not new at this point, but it's still out there. And her monsters are fun to knit for babies, and they're fun to knit for grown-ups too. Monsters are just fun. So knit those. <laughs> so as you're thinking about what you want to make this stuff out of, what are the materials or the fiber characteristics that you're looking for? I mean, on some level, you make your own choices. <laughs> Some people cannot be dissuaded from holding strands of alpaca with mohair silk blends to knit things for babies. And they will knit beautiful, beautiful pieces. That's not the direction I try to steer people in. Often my first thought is, what will make this thing get a lot of use and be easy to care for? If you want to knit an heirloom piece that's to wear for a special occasion, that's fine. But if we're thinking about everyday items for babies that you want to see them out in the park wearing this thing or using this thing, there has to be some level of ease that is associated with the finished project. Soft, smooth fibers are great and washability is king. So I think cotton is really nice. If you're not a fan of working with cotton, superwashed merino is a great option. Lots of people really prefer to just use acrylics or other synthetic blends for babies, and that's totally fine. But if you want to use a natural fiber, there are options out there, quite a lot of them. So it's easy to find something that will work for whatever your specific knitter interests are. The other thing I would recommend as far as material goes is avoiding super fuzzy yarns. Yes. And fuzzy, for me, is distinct from soft. Like, you want soft, you want the baby to not feel scratchy and weird, but don't get fuzzy, fuzzy yarns. Because I talk a lot of smack about babies. That baby sucks. You don't have to say that for me. I'm not just saying it. I'm serious. That baby's whack. I hate it. They're bad at lots of things. One of the things that they're super terrible at is getting fuzzy things out of their faces. Very much. That's just a frustrating situation to be in. Nobody likes hair stuck in their eyelashes. <laughs> so <laughs> give this baby a chance to have fun with their stuffies and not have fuzzy Muppet hair stuck <laughs> in their little baby lips. They can't do anything about it. We've talked about different options, and we know washable is important, soft is important, not too fuzzy. What colors do we pick? People have feelings about this stuff. Where do you even begin? People have so many feelings about colors. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the opinions that they have about colors come with a lot of baggage. I can remember one time at the store, we had a customer who was looking for a sweater for a new grandbaby. 
And we had recommended a couple of different things. And one of them was like a speckly or maybe a tonal variegated, but it had a bunch of different colors in it. And one of the predominant colors was black. I remember this. And she was just like, well, you just can't dress a baby in black. You can if you can catch them. Like you just have to get their arms through the holes. That's it. Yeah. Guess what? Your baby's now wearing black. They literally (laughs) cannot stop you. That baby has no color opinions. It barely has elbows. They can wear any color. We were thinking about this a little bit, and I was looking up some of the history of gendered colors specifically in the U.S. I want to do like a whole episode on the history of color in general. So starting in about the mid-19th century, pastel colors were just like all pastels, not just pink and blue, pink, blue, yellow, any pastel started to be the color for babies. But before that, it was white. Fake. No. (laughs) People dress their babies all in white. Mm, I feel like this is a terrible error, a lapse of judgment, perhaps. It feels like a prank. And specifically, it wasn't just white. It was white dresses for every baby until about the age of six, actually. I see those pictures. Like, I'm familiar with this, but I always assumed that that was the fancy baby dress for a photo of a baby, a daguerreotype, a tintype, something. You are going to capture this moment with the baby, so you put it in the white baby dress. No, because white can be bleached. And before color-safe bleach, white was the only color that could be bleached. And the dress was just so you could get to the diaper. To my mind, white would be the last color, but no, it was all white. Right, dress your babies in black, people. (laughs) It's easy. It doesn't show dirt. (laughs) So then pink and blue specifically started to gain some sort of gendered associations. There are a few trade publications that went out to like Sears and stuff. There was one from 1918 and one from 1927 that very specifically mentioned pink for boys and blue for girls because pink is the more active, robust color and blue is the more passive color. Huh. I remember growing up, because I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, the inside of the state house was painted pink because it was supposed to be robust and masculine. Oh, interesting. There were also other trade publications that were breaking it down, not along gender lines, but along hair color lines. Oh. Your baby could be any gender. If it is blonde, put it in blue. If it has dark hair, put it in pink. It's an understandable impulse, But that baby has no opinions. It's like the color cards or the seasons for people. And then around in the 1940s, pink and blue and the associations kind of switched. And there was this funny time when for a while baby clothing was very gender neutral. And then in the 1980s, that was when we started to see heavily gendered infant clothing again. And it was for two reasons. One, color-safe bleach started to be widely available, so you can bleach anything. Uh Uh-huh. And two, prenatal testing. Oh. Yeah. So people were doing the thing where they would go and they'd get an ultrasound and they would know the sex of their baby. And so they would go and they would buy all of these clothing items. And it is held to be a true thing in clothing retail. The more individualized you make clothing, the more of it you sell. It was really about trying to sell more clothing to new parents. And so this like heavy identification came in. All of that is by way of saying anything can be any color for any gender of child. It's all marketing. It's all marketing. If you are knitting for a baby who is not your baby, this baby's parents may have an idea for a color palette for this child's life. The parents will be like, we're doing the nursery in all grays. 
We're doing the nursery in Grello. If you happen to know that one of these babies' parents has a visceral reaction, just cannot stand the color pink, even if you really love it, don't knit that baby a pink sweater. You do have to remember that this is going into someone else's life in that way. I think that's true of all gift knitting. Yeah. You're knitting for a baby. You're knitting for another adult. If you know they really dislike something, don't let that be the one thing that you feel like you have to make. Yeah. Babies need contrasting colors and they need contrasting shapes for proper brain development. It's important about making them healthy, functional people to give them some stimulation. Knit them whatever you want. (laughs) Have fun with it. It's a gift because you're not the baby. (laughs) Babies are also really bad at knitting. I'm serious. Baby's whack. Oh my God, they're terrible. (laughs) Oh, speaking of knitting, Mm -hmm. Karen, what's on your needles? My sunshine on my shoulders. How's it going? The intarsia, it is slow. It's Uh going. It's just slow. I've been not knitting a ton at any given sitting Mm -hmm. right now just because it is so tangly and stuff, but it's getting there and I'm really excited about it. How about you? I have another finished object. Amazing. My Saraswati top by Julie McKessie. Boom. Done. It's very tank toppy. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I need to block it. I haven't blocked it, but the knitting is done. I didn't make any changes to the pattern. I can't remember the last time you knit something that didn't have any changes. Nope, I just did what she told me to do. And I used the Dapple from Brooklyn Tweed, which is a blend of organic cotton and non-superwashed merino. It's really lovely and lofty and has interesting color going on. Each skein is just a slightly different shade and I didn't blend them. So there's a hard line between the skeins. But because of the shape of this top, it's like chevron panels. It's like zigzags. Yeah. So it feels like it's part of the design. But really, it was just the yarn doing its own thing. That's kind of awesome, though, because then the yarn is complementing the design. It was a good match. I'm glad I made it. So, Jessica. Yes, Karen. Are you ready for a letter? Absolutely. This week's letter comes to us from Molly. Hi, Molly. Hello. I am 12 years old, and I learned how to knit when I was 11. Awesome. Amazing. My question is... I have trouble with promising loved ones handmade gifts, but I end up having so much on my plate, I end up getting almost nothing done. Do you know a few ways to avoid that happening? That's a fantastic question, and I relate to it so much. You and me, kid, we're in the same boat. (laughs) So I do have some suggestions for you, because you have acquired a really cool skill. You are a knitter. And you probably have lots of people in your life who are not knitters, but see that you're doing this cool thing and are like, oh, maybe she'll knit me something. It feels like demand is high. There's maybe a little bit of pressure to be producing things for all of these people that you love. But I'm going to encourage you to pace yourself. And even as a 12-year-old, it is now time to learn the power of the word no. which I hope you hear and take with you and carry with you your whole life. Because sometimes you just have to say, no, I can't do that right now. 
if, for example, you had learned how to bake really excellent cookies, which maybe you also know how to do, I can guarantee you people would be like, hey, can you bake me some of those cookies? And you would want to say yes, but at some point it would become overwhelming and you would just have to stop baking all the cookies. You don't want to stop baking all the cookies. You want to knit when you want to. You want to bake cookies when you want to, but you have to keep things in perspective. So maybe your parent that really loves your knitting and you know will definitely wear the thing that you knit for them, they get a hand-knit thing. The kid that sits three desks away from you who you play soccer with and are buddies with, they might want a hand-knit thing, but you don't say yes to them because you already have other projects happening and you don't want this to turn into a situation where you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and it starts to feel like work because this is something fun that you do and should be something that you love and feel happy about doing. So I think my biggest piece of advice is learning about saying no. And that doesn't mean that you don't like someone. It just means that it's not the time for you to hand knit for them. And for thinking about who you're going to knit for and what feels like a good thing for you to make for them. Maybe somebody asks you to knit them a whole sweater. And they're not a knitter, so they don't realize that they're asking kind of a lot of you. It's okay to say, I don't think now is the time for me to knit a sweater for you. (laughs) That is not part of my journey at this time. That's right. Would you like a hat? (laughs) I do like knitting hats, and you look like you could use a hat. (laughs) Everyone who's not wearing one could use one, in fairness. I feel like you look like you could use a hat is one of those sentences that, like, therapists hear about. (laughs) Years after the fact. (laughs) And they might. But you know what? If anyone has learned how to set boundaries with that line, then it has done its job. The other thing is that, you know, you said you learned to knit a year ago. As you get more experience with this, you are going to be better able to judge how much time things are going to take you. Like you will just know for yourself, you know, I can knit a hat in a weekend, I can knit a scarf in a month, but that's just like experience and data gathering. And I know you hear that a lot at the stage in your life, but in this case, it's just you need to know how fast your hands move. Well, I hope that you have fun knitting everything that you have on your needles right now. And you should send us an email with some pictures of your projects because we would love to see them. I think that might be it for us this week. Sure is. You can listen to us anywhere that you get audio podcasts, including where you're listening to us right now. You can rate and review us wherever you're listening. And you totally should because it helps other knitters find Make Good. You can follow us on Instagram at MakeGoodPod. Big, huge thank you to all of our Patreon people. You're amazing. We love you. We appreciate you. You help us make this podcast every single week without ever taking on support from advertisers. Thank you. Thank you. You can visit our website, makegoodpod.com. You can check out the show notes there. We'll have lists of all the patterns that we didn't specifically name out today. And you can send us questions either via the contact form there or at dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.